What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast. Happy Tuesday. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. Chicago Bears just won. Sean Wagner McGuff is on the phone for, uh, the, it looks like you're probably, you're not locked into these Monday night, Tuesday morning shows, but I mean, yeah, if you, you, you do a lot of Monday night shifts because you're on the West Coast. Good Monday night for you though, because I was kind enough to take all the takeaways. You didn't, I don't think you wrote one post the whole night. You just sat back and watched the Bears play, and that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine that you didn't do any work, Sean. Don't worry about it. No one's judging you. You're sitting there in your Mitchell Trubisky jersey t-shirt. Great. Is that, oh, a Cutler jersey t-shirt. Even worse, a Jay Cutler jersey t. The Bears beat the Seahawks. Um, you may, uh, first give your impassioned plea as to why you did do work, and second, point out your favorite thing about this game. Oh, I did absolutely very little work during the game, but I feel like that was just because the game, while very entertaining for me and other Bears fans, didn't really have that many, like, it was big... Even, it was, there were no controversial moments either. And, like, I felt like that was a good thing that, like, the first penalty we were complaining about was, like, an illegal contact in the fourth quarter. And so it was a well-officiated game. There was no controversy. The Bears led ended, pretty much the entire time. It ended at 11-15. It was That's, a good game. It was efficient. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was fine. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good game. It was two questionable offenses going against two better than average defenses, and and just bad. And, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to bash the Bears here, but like the Bears were good on their opening drive, and then they were pretty terrible for about 30 minutes. But their defense was good enough to stop a really bad Seahawks offense. And it just kind of moved quickly. It was just a bunch of punts. I mean, and that, that's fine. It, just, it, it wasn't Steelers Chiefs. I'll put it that way. But I'll say this is I think you're selling short the Bears defense. Like I, th- I think the, the offense is clearly a work in progress. I don't think it's like clear to say, Oh, they're going to get there at some point this year. They're going to be a good offense. Like I, I, I think there's a chance the Bears just won't have a good offense unless Mitchell Trubisky starts looking more confident and just more accurate and like hitting throws that NFL caliber quarterbacks should be able to make. But I think you're selling short the defense a little bit. I know the Broncos also have their way with the Seahawks, but the Broncos are also a good defense. Sure. I thought this game, if like, if, if I'm taking away anything from this game, it's that I think the Bears might have like a top five, top six defense. And I'm not saying the Bears are a great team, but I think if you have that defense and if the offense can just improve marginally, I think they're going to be in the hunt for that second wild card spot in the NFC. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but I'm saying I think that defense is going to allow them to be competitive. And if you can, it's weird because the Bears have like three or four really good series in this game. And you think, why can't they just do that two more times per game? And I think if they can get there, this is a nine win team. All right. More Bears in a second. I, w- I forgot to point out, I do this every freaking show. Uh, Brady Quinn is coming up. Brady Quinn, I love Brady Quinn. I have a great conversation with Brady Quinn. We did not talk about fake dog testicles this week, but it was still a very good conversation. Nudicles, uh, it's still a very good conversation. If you, ha- if you haven't, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, tune in wherever you want. Uh, please rate and review. Always appreciated. I haven't even, um, I think we're doing, I think we're doing pretty well. I, people, people like it. The bosses are happy. I, I, I'm not checking iTunes as frequently as I used to, which is probably good for my general sanity and, and my computer's battery. Uh, but, you know, all, all reviews and, uh, and, and ratings appreciated. So, so keep those coming. Back to the Bears. 
here, here's my concern is that I think when you, so like my gut, I, I didn't look at football outsiders DVOA after week one as it relates to just the Bears specifically. But when you said you think they can be a top five team, my gut, defense, defense, top five defense. Yeah. My gut reaction was, okay, I bet if I look at DVOA from week one and DVOA takes a few weeks to, that's football outsiders metric for, for analyzing defense for those that don't know. My gut reaction was, okay, it's going to, they're probably going to be in like 15 to 20 range, but it does take a few weeks to sort out. Um, my, my point here, my suggestion here would be that the Bears are in fact 13th. And I think that's perfectly fine. That's based just on their game against the Packers. I think the problem with that is they were great at first, but then they weren't great down the stretch. And while they made some big plays early on against the Seahawks, I thought they did fade a little bit. They let Russell Wilson back in it. If Prince of Mukamara didn't jump that route and it's, look, he jumped the route, he made a pick six. I'm not, I'm not taking the pick six away. It was a game. It was a game. Yeah, I like, I was, I was, I was, I saw the line at Russell, at Seahawks plus six and a half when they were down seven and like plus 180 or something like that. I loved the Seahawks at that point because Russell was going to get the ball back and the Seahawks stopped the Bears one time. And if you give Russell the ball in that situation, I feel confident he can go down and score. And instead he threw a pick six, like the second pick six, pick six of his NFL career, which was frankly kind of stunning. And so I, I think the Bears defense can be good. But my concern is that the Bears defense is not very deep. And as a result, when you get it later on in the game against a good def- against, against a good offense, they tend to struggle. And if injuries strike this defense, it's going to struggle very badly. This is what I'll say is you were, I understand your point about how the Seahawks, the Bears defense in that fourth quarter did not look particularly good if you remove the two turnovers they generated. But I, what I would say is that good defense is make those plays, and what you were just saying is Russell Wilson doesn't throw those pick sixes, and you know what? He did it against a Bears defense that was getting after him all night. Yeah. So I I think to your point, yes, I think there's reasons why the Bears defense could get worse over the course of the year, and that's if if they suddenly lose a player in their secondary, they lose a good player on their defensive front, suddenly I think they're not a a great defense anymore. That part I understand, but I also think there's a reason why you say they're going to get better, and I think the reason why we're seeing the Bears are suddenly like not good in the second half, particularly on defense, is because they're getting tired and you have guys like Cleo Mack, who is on the sideline, you know, sucking in oxygen and not on the field. I think I don't think Cleo Mack's in game shape quite yet. I think that's why we're seeing him explode in the first half and disappear in the second half. I think you can say the same thing about Roquan Smith, who missed most of training camp and barely played in the preseason. So I think there's reasons they could get better, but I agree with you. I think depth is a major concern with this team, as it is with a lot of teams. Sure. And the Bears' margin for winning is really small right now if their offense is going to be this limited. They need their defense to play that well, get five sacks in the first half, and then create takeaways. And, like, that is a very hard, you know, way to win football games. It's not necessarily sustainable. <laughs> I get that. But to your credit, you were pointing out to me – um, on Slack about the Bears schedule coming up. And I think there's a decent chance to stack some wins. And I think that's the most important thing at this time of year is that the Bears didn't blow a game that, quite frankly, at halftime, I thought they were going to blow because 10-3 felt like what should have been a 21 nothing game. And the Bears kind of let the Seahawks hang around. And when someone has a quarterback like Russell Wilson sitting on the other side, mm-hmm. you're kind of thinking if we don't put up points, we're going to lose this game. But the Bears put up points. And so what I'm saying is that the Bears aren't there yet offensively, not even close. Uh, Trubisky does not look good. He did not play particularly well. He had a couple good series, and that was it, a couple good plays. Um, but if you can stack wins at the beginning of the year, 
I think that's the most important thing because I don't know. I don't think we should. We don't know what the Bears are right now. We what they're going to be moving forward. And the important thing is that they are one and one. If they lost this game, we're probably writing them off. We're talking about on this podcast yeah. about how the Seahawks could maybe challenge for that last wild card spot because Russell Wilson just pulled a win. Um, out if, of, if the well, Bears, if the Bears are. 0 and 2 right now and lose that game to the Seahawks. And I don't think it was that, it wouldn't have been that weird if they'd lost that game. Like it wouldn't have been that crazy if Russell goes down and scores and it's a tie game and then Trubisky throws a bad pick. Shaquem Griffin runs it back to the house and all of a sudden you're, you're doing the Mr. Krabs thing where you can't, you know, like you're, you're spinning and you don't know what's going on. You know, you know about Mr. Krabs? Do you watch SpongeBob? No, no. You don't know about the Mr. Krabs? You should check out Mr. I, Krabs. I've never watched SpongeBob. The, Google, Google, real quick while we're sitting here, Google Mr. Krabs, uh, spinning gif. If people don't know about that, I reference this like three times a day with my friends on the text message thread. It's the funniest thing in the world. Like the guy can't be, he's just, he's just crabbing his, his face off. Um, at any rate, if the Bears are 0-2, they're crabbing their faces off because all of a sudden they've, they've got these huge leads against teams that they're dominating on defense and the offense looks sharp coming out of the gate. And as a result, they should have closed and they didn't. Instead, they're 1-1. They could easily be 2-0. and They should be 2-0. and And they got, they're at the Cardinals next week. They'll probably be overvalued in terms of that line because they played on Monday Night Football and the, the Cardinals have six points on the entire season. But that's a great matchup for them. The Cardinals offensive line stinks. Their play calling appears to stink, and the defense isn't playing as well as it should. Then they get the the overhyped Buccaneers in Week Four, and I look Fitzmagic has been great, but I could see the Bears taking it to Ryan Fitzpatrick in Week Four. You don't love a buy in Week Five because it's early in the season, but maybe it's not terrible for like you said with Khalil Mack, you know, not being in complete game shape, uh, Roquan Smith having missed training camp. These guys can get up to speed, and then they run through the AFC East four straight weeks at the Dolphins. Patriots at home, Jets at home, at the Bills. I mean, if they can go, if they can get to, to four and one, or excuse me, to, to three and one going into the buy in week five, and that's not crazy, right? That's not crazy. I mean, if I had to revise my season predictions right now, I, I had the Falcons, um, and one NFC North team as the wild card teams. I would pick two, all, I would pick three teams from the North to make mm. the playoffs. And that's not because I, mean, I think the Bears are great. I just think the Falcons have a lot of issues that we all thought they were going to correct, and they clearly and they, they're dealing maybe with maybe didn't maybe they didn't they they played better in the red zone on Sunday. And then you also throw in those two defensive injuries, which are probably even bigger than the red zone issues. I and I, so it, well, sorry, go ahead. I I think no, the, but I think the bear I think the Bears are going to screw the pooch on one of these games at Arizona or versus Tampa Bay and get in the bye at two and two. But even if you do that, they should. Worst case be two and two against the AFC East. So at that point, you're four and four and you're at 500 and you go into this big stretch with two games against the Lions and one against the Vikings, uh, Vikings sandwiched in there at home. I don't know. I mean, the weirder things could happen. The, the, the Bears have an opportunity here. You go, you win these next two games and you can come out of the bye scorching hot and you can get the six wins fast. If you got the over at six and a half, you're, you're on cruise control. Um, I don't know. Next two games are really big for, big for Chicago. The, the thing that concerns me, and we talked about this a little bit maybe in Slack and before, but Mitchell Trubisky came out of the gates white hot the first two the first two uh, games with great opening drives. What what was the stat you dropped? It's like I used it in my post. I've got, I've got it. So their first their opening drive series this year in two games. First one was ten plays, eighty six yards, and a touchdown. Tonight or Monday night was nine plays, ninety six yards, and a touchdown. I'm going to tell you this right now, Sean. The next two weeks, 
And I'm, I'm not just you. I'm going to tell everybody this. The next two weeks, here's what we're going to do. We are all going to bet on the Bears' first quarter line and the Bears' first half line because the Bears look great on defense in the first half and they look great on offense in that opening drive. Now, if they, so if they get a stop, even if they lose the coin toss, they get a stop, you're feeling pretty good about it. I think that this is a team similar to what Andy Reid does in Kansas City that can come out of the gates hot, and I like what Matt Nagy's doing. But my concern, Sean, with the Bears being a playoff team is that Mitchell Trubisky doesn't look good after those first one or two drives. Yeah, and to their credit, I think Matt Nagy's best offensive series actually might have been um, the scoring drive that pushed a lead to 17 to three. Like they went 11 plays, 70 yards. I don't, first, I don't, I'm not sure. Total yards. First, they first. didn't have a single first, a single third down on the drive. Like yeah. that was easy. And that's what makes me on one hand, I'm disappointed. And like, why can't you do that more? Like you don't have to do it every time. Why can't you do that more? But at the same time, I don't, I don't know. I think the potential's there. I think Trubisky looked awful in some moments, but you also saw. He had a couple of really good plays. He had a really good scramble where he kept his eyes up and only ran when he had to. You had that crazy throw to Tariq Cohen where you see his athleticism. You see why he's got the tools to be that franchise guy. I think a little bit is that he's getting like rattled or like it seems like a mental thing in a way where he's not getting his feet set. His mechanics are getting thrown off. He doesn't see his first guy open and then like he's trying to scramble. Um, I like there are issues there, but to me, I look at a guy who didn't play much in college, played last year in a stone age offense with no receivers, and you can almost throw out what he did last year and is starting brand new. And in a way, I almost feel like maybe the Bears are trying to throw too much at this offense at once, and it wouldn't hurt them to scale it down a bit. They have this good defense that can keep them in games. Maybe don't try to run the full version of your offense right now until Trubisky starts feeling more comfortable. That's, that's kind of how I feel about it. And to be clear, like, I don't know, the Bears, I don't think are like a 10 win team, but I just think we were expecting the NFC to be this incredible deep conference mm. with so many teams that could have made the playoffs in the AFC. And I'm not sure that's entirely true. Granted, it's been two weeks and who knows what happens two weeks from now. Maybe the Bears lose their next two games and the Falcons blow out their next two opponents. But I kind of look at that last wildcard spot is wide open. And, I mean, look, they pretty much eliminated the Seahawks tonight. Well, well, I mean, Seahawks haven't played at home yet. I mean, Seahawks look terrible. Their offensive line is awful. Russell Wilson is not a shell of himself, but, like, you hire Brian Schottenheimer to run this run off. They're running the ball down 14 with 550 left. By the way, Mitchell Trubisky had 572 passing attempts in college. For context, Jared Goff had 1,568. Like, 572 passing attempts is a season. Jared Goff had, had 529 as a junior with Cal. Like For he, the record, as someone who did cover that team, Jared Goff did throw the ball like 50 times a game because their defense would give up 50 points a game. Dude, have you seen, Car- have you seen, right. have you seen Carolina's defense? They give up tons of points per game. Like, like, <laughs> I, I have mean, not seen Carolina's Carolina's defense, defense is, is, is god-awful. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky threw it. He had 572 attempts in three years. 447 were in his last year as a junior. Like he, he didn't play because they had Marquise Williams in front of him and the, the leaders wanted Marquise Williams to, to start for whatever reason. And Trubisky finally came in that one year and had a great year. I mean, he is as under seasoned as it gets when it comes to a young quarterback. And, and I mean, like he's at, he's at 365 career attempts in the NFL. 
Like he's and he's learning a new system in between. If you split that, like with a new personnel all around him too, and I also think something that's hurting his like perception is that you have Patrick Mahomes doing what he's doing. You had Deshaun Watson do what he did last year, all in that same draft class, of course. But I don't think it's necessarily fair to him to compare him. He's going to be compared to those two guys because he was taken ahead of them. But because they're doing well and he's struggling, doesn't mean Trubisky won't ever get to that level that justifies. It's taking him with the second pick. It's way too early to bemoan the, whether Mitch Trubisky is the guy. He's in his second year in his second game after he played with John Fox. Like people weren't, I mean, like people weren't freaking out about, like it took, it, it took half a season for people to get on board with Jared Goff before they were like, all right, this is fine. Everything is fine. The house is not burning. And, and so from that, from that perspective, I agree. I just think that maybe the difference in Goff and Matt Nagy and, or, Goff and Sean McVay and Trubisky and Matt Nagy is it felt like Goff always had easier reads outside. Like it feels like those initial reads are so easy and Trubisky is so comfortable in that opening script. And then it's just like, he, he just, he's just not comfortable anymore. It's very odd. Yeah. You know what I think happened in week one? And I obviously haven't had a chance to rewatch the game that just happened on Monday night is I think the Packers in week one started off in a lot of man stuff. And I think, that got Trubisky really comfortable. And I'm pretty sure at halftime they switched to a lot of zone. Mm. And what was happening is the second his first read wasn't there, he wasn't even really scanning for a second read. If you just watch his eye level in that game, it was just just dropping and he was looking to run or it was a disaster. I'd be curious to watch this game and see what happened because I really want to know what happened in between that first drive and then that second half series where they finally got going because that second half series was really easy and was really methodical. And I think, I mean, the Bears are probably going to be looking at those two series and, and they got to be figuring out how can we replicate this over the course of a game instead of having little, you know, flashes and bursts of it. That's a good point. Uh, if you want to watch any game, any time, anywhere from like the last 10 years, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even sure if it goes back 10 years, but you can watch a lot of games. I have to check NFL game pass is the way to go and you can get a free seven day trial by going to NFL.com backslash pick six free seven day trial you you like us myself and sean wagner experts in the field of nfl writing um you don't have to be you don't have a job with cbs in order to watch all the games and study the all 22 they got coaches tape condensed versions of broadcast you can bang a game out in 45 minutes um faster than like sean will get his lunch his his avocado bowl delivered to his house you can like no, you don't. You can, you can comment during these ad reads. It's fine. I was gonna say it's a slander right there. <laughs> Your faster than Sean's Pokeball will arrive via via Uber Eats. You can knock out a you can knock out a game in forty five minutes. It, it, in all seriousness, NFL Game Pass is the only way to go. I spent all morning long sitting in my eighty six degree house watching NFL Game Pass, trying to catch up on the week that was. You can really like hone in on some certain things you want to see. And if you missed a particular team, let's say you don't, let's say you didn't get a chance to watch Patrick Mahomes, go back and watch it, or go find out if Mitch Trubisky is terrible. You can figure it out, and you can get a seven day trial at NFL.com backslash. Pick six. Okay. Well, um, I don't, is there anything you want to add, Sean, from the, uh, the Bears Seahawks game before we turn it over to Brady Quinn? Cleo Mack is probably like my favorite player to watch since, I don't know. Okay. Since like prime Brian Urlacher. We, or, we, can, we can talk about this for a second because it, it feels two things about the Cleo Mack experience with the Bears. One, it feels like stealing. Like if I were a Packers or Lions or Vikings fan, I'd be irate that the Bears got him 
because like you're not supposed to be able to get players like that in their prime. Like it's it's just not supposed to happen. You get that player when he's 30 or 31 and on a second like tour and maybe he's going to go to like we get Mario Williams. When the Bears got Julius Peppers when he was like 34 or whatever. No, like way, that's, dude. that's Julius Peppers was young when he went to the Bears. Was he? I yes. mean, I feel like how old is he now? I feel like no, he's like 40 now. You won't remember this. I know this because I, I mean like this is before I was writing about the Panthers. I mean writing about writing about professional football. He he got to Chicago when he was 30. So I mean, like, was he only thirty? I mean, I know what year he got to Chicago. It was the year after Cutler got there, and there was the title game. That but year, remember, but. it was the it was um it was two thousand and ten because it was the uncapped year. He 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 and his agent played it perfectly. They wrote out the franchise tag. He felt disrespected, and he bounced to Chicago in an uncapped year on an unprecedented contract and continued his Hall of Fame career. Uh, with Chicago, but yeah, like so, they, they got Khalil Mack at 27. It's insane. And the Raiders, every time the Bears play this year, are going to, John Gruden's going to take a beating as long as Khalil Mack plays like this. And he's going to play like this because he's one of the four best defensive players in the league. And the Raiders deserve the beating. Yeah. What I was going to say is that the NFL was designed through its rules to prevent 27 year old superstar players from switching teams. Right, you just, right. you're not supposed to see it happen. I think the last time a player was traded for two first round picks was Jay Cutler to the Bears. Like it doesn't <laughs> happen. It's not supposed to happen. And the fact that the Raiders gave him up when I understand he wasn't reporting, but you had three more years of team control if you use the franchise tag. And if he doesn't report and you gain you accrue maybe reports in week ten, you or like if he doesn't report, you we might not accrue a season. Maybe you know how people team. always say holdouts don't work and you always like hear that. Like, it, they never work. Like, they're going to report and play eventually. It doesn't work. Khalil Mack somehow won his hardball stance with the Raiders, and I, I'm still not sure how it happened. We're not giving him but enough we, credit. I mean, like, he won. He won a holdout. Like, Darrell Revis is the only guy who – not the only guy, but, like, the only guy in recent memory who just dominated a holdout. Khalil Mack dominated a holdout. He got shipped to Chicago where he's a, a god. He got paid an unholy amount oh, of money. His, his stock, like, in terms of, like, brand, and I hate that word, but has, like, shot up because every game the Bears were on, all anyone talks about is Khalil Mack in the trade. Anyone on Twitter, the second Khalil Mack has a sack, is retweeting a John Gruden quote from earlier that day about how, well, we got to look to get a pass rush somehow. And, and so, like, his stock, in terms of just an athlete, has gone way up. He's on a team that's going to be better in the short term. Obviously, we have to see what the Raiders do with those picks before we can fully judge the trade. Uh, but no, I mean, Khalil Mack won in the situation, Bears won in the situation, and the people who lost are the people in Oakland, not even necessarily Raiders fans, it's people in Oakland, because the Raiders aren't going to be good again, potentially, until they go to Vegas. That's right. Big losers there. Big winner here, Sean Wagner McGuff. Follow him at Sean J. Wagner on Twitter. Cheers to you, buddy. Uh, let's go talk to Brady Quinn. All right, Brady, we uh, got good timing on this. You know what? We we had to bump back this because uh, I've been attacked by a hurricane and a snake and uh, air conditioning issues at my house. Um, you were kind enough to accommodate me. And as a result, we ran headfirst into some Josh Gordon news, the wide receiver, uh, former, of course, uh, early round supplemental pick for the Cleveland Browns, one-time receiving yards leader, traded, of course, to the Patriots because everybody – has to be traded to the Patriots before they can wrap up their their career in the NFL. What did you make of this news when you heard it? Well, I, I think it was exactly what the New England Patriots could could look for right now. I mean, they need a game changer at the wide receiver position. Um, the problem is I just don't know how reliable Josh Gordon is, and I don't know 
with um, the, the recent news of why the Browns are moving on from him sounded kind of suspicious. It sounds like there should be an NFL investigation. Given his past transgressions and his difficulty coming back into the league, I would think it's only fair to all those who have dealt with substance uh, abuse or uh, addictions and had these sorts of issues before that they look into it. They've done this before for other guys. Why would they do it um, for Josh Gordon in this case? Well, so when you say you want the – not that you wanted to, but you think there should be an investigation, do you – are you – I mean, I'm not saying you're accusing Josh Gordon of I think they should look into what exactly happened that caused the Browns to want to move on. I mean, if you'll remember, you know, he missed, what, 10 games what, back in 2014? Yes. He missed an entire season after that. I mean, he's missed so much time. You know, you weren't really sure if there was a, a game plan as to how he was going to come back. Um, because of all the time that he'd missed and how many countless opportunities he got. So then you take into account the fact that the NFL was working with Cleveland to help Josh Gordon out, obviously missing training camp too and, and eventually coming back, um, but missing a good portion of that before the season. It, it led you to believe that you know both the NFL and Cleveland were working hand-in-hand. Hand. Now the fact that Cleveland just said, okay, you know, look – our coaches maybe are fed up with some things that we talked with. I talked with a beat reporter earlier today and he said, look, uh, Todd Haley kind of got tired of, of um, some of the things that were going on as far as how he was practicing. Um, you've also got a new general manager there too. Um, and, and I don't know that John Dorsey was looking at Josh Gordon and giving him a really long leash as far as the amount of time he had to really prove himself to be worthy of a roster spot. So I think all those things finally came to a head once we got into the regular season. And now you find yourself with the New England Patriots on the other end of what looks to be a good deal for them. Because if he doesn't play, it's not really going to ultimately matter, right? Um, right. It, whether or not he does, because they're going to get that pick back. Yeah, I mean, I almost, I mean, I was, I for me, the, the I think the initial reaction from the general public was the same that it always is for a Belichick, Bill Belichick trade of a player with a big name, which is well. Belichick's done it again. Landed, landed himself a big fish. Uh, you know, he's gonna, gonna win 17 games. Uh, they're probably gonna go 18 and 18 and 0 here. I mean, you know, like not real numbers, obviously, but the reality is that, you know, this had, this had, every time the Patriots trade for guys, it doesn't work out perfectly. It worked out great with Randy Moss, but that was 11 years ago. Uh, Corey Dillon was an incredible reclamation project, but Albert Hainsworth was a bust. Chad Ochocinco was a bust there. And, and I wonder how Josh Gordon is going to fit in a, in an offensive system. Well, look, it's great that he's a freakish talent, but this is timing based. You've got to be on the same page as Tom Brady. You have to be a, a, a junkie when it comes to working out with Tom Brady. And it's easy to see the idea of Josh Gordon coming in, trying to just use his athleticism to overpower any, you know, concerns or hurdles that the, that you have with the playbook and it not working out, right? Well, here's, here's what I know about the offense because I spent, um, a, basically almost a year with Josh McDaniels, uh, way was in Denver. And obviously I've had variations of it with a guy like Charlie Weiss who was former there as well. And, and Josh McDaniels was under Charlie Weiss. It's not so much of a timing based offense. Um, it, it, it is about precision as far as route running and depth. That's the biggest thing. And, and then there's a bunch of variations to routes you can run based on coverage. So based on what the defense is doing, can he pick that up quick? Right. That's going to be the interesting part and what kind of position they're going to put him in. And if you look at this roster and they've got, you know, five guys at this point in time on the roster, uh, in Chris Hogan, Phil Dorsett, Cordero Patterson, Corey Coleman, and Matthew, Matthew Slater, you know, 
all five of those guys contribute and have their own niche or role right now. And, you know, Julian Edelman's going to come back. They're going to have to figure out a roster spot for him. Slater's playing special teams. I don't think he's going anywhere. Same thing with Cordero Patterson. So the interesting part is who's out if they bring Josh Gordon in? And, and then what role does he fill? He's not hasn't really been a special teams guy. And with Chris Hogan obviously being as reliable as he's been, it almost leads me to think, like, is Corey Coleman potentially on the bubble for being on? Actually, Corey Coleman was released. <laughs> but the Patriots, the Patriots just announced it, like, while we were doing this. Um, he and, and, and so, yeah, there so, you go. So that, Good that, call. That's the only thing that makes sense. And right. then the hilarious part is, obviously, even though he came to New England by way of Buffalo, he was originally with Cleveland earlier this <laughs> right. year. So that only makes sense. Yeah, so now they can trade Jarvis Landry to the Patriots next. Um, I, I mean, I, I just think, and I, you're right, timing, timing base is a bad way to put it, but like, you have to be on the same page as Tom Brady. I mean, that's how it works in that offense, right? Yeah, and, and I think one thing you noticed, if you're, if we're, we're going to segue into games at some point, is the rematch of the AFC Championship game from a year ago this past week, playing the Jaguars down in Jacksonville, there was no separation. And that tends to be the case sometimes with the Patriots wide receivers because they're more known for their precision and their, uh, intelligence and those route adjustments and being on the, on the same page with Tom Brady as opposed to, um, dynamic ability. Okay. I don't know if we look at many of their wide receivers and walk away basically saying, okay, that guy is going to be a number one anywhere else, right? Yeah. Josh Gordon though has that ability. And I think maybe that's what they're looking for. You know, they're looking for a talented guy who can get more separation without Josh McDaniels having to create uh, or formation things up to get guys free in this case. Um, he doesn't have to, I don't want to say work as hard, but he doesn't have to do as much, uh, to get Josh Gordon open or for him to be able to make those big plays. Mm, uh, an interesting, uh, Scott Zolak made a point that Todd Haley was actually brought up in the Weiss Henning Erhart offense. Terminology base should be the same. I don't know how, you know, exactly how accurate that is, but I mean, at least, you know, if you have some kind of bridge to build on, that's better for Josh Gordon. Let's talk well, about, okay, oh, go ahead. One, one quick thing just to cap that, you know, Terminology is terminology. You know what's the easiest thing to do? Just telling them what to run. <laughs> run straight <laughs> and fast. Here's the thing is, in that offense sometimes, it will be like X go, right? So right. he knows he's got a go route or X, you know, whatever, bow route. So sometimes you can, you'll actually individually name what that position has and what route they have. So it, it, it's sometimes not as complicated as we make it out to be. Well, I mean, and like, I mean, I almost swore there, but I mean, like, you could put him out there against, let's say he's healthy enough to play in, in week three against the Lions. I mean, put him out there and, and tell him to run nine routes <laughs> until he passes out and let Tom Brady chuck it deep if he gets, if he gets behind a quarterback, right? I mean, and then, then he opens up Gronk in the middle and Hogan elsewhere. I mean, there's, at the very least, if he, if he plays and he can be a factor, he can be dangerous. Uh, I'm not saying they should wear him out like a, you know, like with, with nine routes, but go routes, whatever it is, but you know, you get the point. Like he, he's speed kills and he has the talent to win. You mentioned the, the Jaguars and Patriots game. Fantastic game on CBS Sports from this past uh, Sunday. Jim Nance and Tony Romo, uh, calling that game. Were you surprised to see the Jaguars dominate the Patriots the way that they did w- without Litter Fournette? No, no, not really. I mean, it was kind of reminiscent of what we saw from the Patriots early last season, uh, a defense trying to find its way. I thought Blake Bortles, um, did a good job of, of kind of managing the game. Um, I don't know that they really asked him to do a ton. I think we're going to give him credit because the stats look good and the throws look good. But, you know, for the majority of the time, his first reads were open. I think more credit should go to his offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. I thought he did a great job making things easy on Blake Bortles, giving them enough balance to keep him dangerous. And then the wide receivers were making some ridiculous catches in plays. And 
and probably the group that gets you know not enough attention or credit is the offensive line. They've been much improved from what they were a year ago. Mm. So, uh, you know, I think as much as we want to, you know, give Blake Bortles credit for his performance in the win, I do think it should be spread around. This is an entire um, offensive performance that the play seemed easy. I didn't think that he really had or was forced to be in a position where he had to work through his progressions and was put in a tough spot. I mean, you barely saw any pressure from the Patriots. I think if anything, that that may be the the glaring obvious weakness of the Patriots defense right now is they don't have the ability to get pressure with their front four. And on the flip side, you're watching Tom Brady constantly deal with pressure from the front four from Jacksonville. And if this rematch takes place again, and if it happens to be in Jacksonville, as good as Tom Brady is, you, you have to give the Jaguars the edge in that just because he didn't have any time at all and he was being moved off the spot, hit constantly, and it just seemed like the timing and rhythm of the offense was off. Yeah, the Jaguars are built like a team. Like, I mean, I wrote about this before the AC Championship game last year, and the, the Jaguars didn't win that, but it was you, clearly they had the opportunity to. They're built a lot like that Broncos team that won the Super Bowl, and that that you know that that sort of defense can create problems for Tom Brady. Um, it's no no need to panic about the Patriots. They're right. Like, no, because of the division, right? right? I mean, you've got the Bills who look awful the jets came back down to earth and and then you've got the D- miami dolphins division who, leading miami dolphins yeah probably their stiffest <laughs> competition and they're not going to wow anyone but they do have oakland to come into town this week so they may very well start off the season three and oh given the long trip for the raiders the lack of pressure that they can uh, provide and the fact i'm not sure how things are going to work out for john gruden's first year um but you know all those things i mean i still think the New England Patriots have the edge over the Dolphins. Um, so, yes, they, they're, they're going to be okay because of the division they plan. Yeah, and then the Dolphins will head to New England to play the Patriots, potentially with first place, first place in the line on, uh, in week four. And by the way, Brady, everything would be fine if John Gruden had a pass rusher. Somebody could rush the passer. He, you know, he keeps mentioning it after these games. He's like, man, if we could just get some pressure on the quarterback, we'd be good to go. I think what is he, I, I, I don't, is he, is he effing with us? I don't get it. Like, he, <laughs> you can't trade Cleo Mack and then come out of the first two weeks and lament your lack of a pass rusher. That, that's not fair. Here's the issue is you can't really, you know, play much better if you're Derek Carr. What do you have? Like three incompletions in the entire game? Like you really can't play much better than that at the quarterback position. So when you start to kind of dive into the numbers and you're starting to look at the offense, it's like, I, I don't know what more you can expect. It was 29 of 32 for almost 300 yards, one touchdown. It's 91%. No picks. 91% of his, yeah, one touchdown, no picks, 288 yards. Completed 91% so, of his passes. Like, if, if, and, and, and by the way, against a very good defense, like yes. against a, a Broncos defense on the road at altitude that's really good. So that's a pretty solid performance. Yet, defensively, they just don't have enough. They've got two sacks in two games. That's like tied for 28th in the NFL right now. And, it, you know, I don't know if he's messing with us or not. I, I kind of get the sense that he, he's starting to throw some people under the bus. Week one, he threw his quarterback under the bus, talking about Amari Cooper being open a couple times and not getting him the football for whatever reason. And now he's been talking about the lack of pressure and maybe we need to dial up more blitzes. Like Paul Gunther, their defensive coordinator, doesn't know how to do his job. You're right. So it's it's a bit bizarre to see how he's handled the press after these these two losses. I'm not sure what his excuse is going to be going up against the Miami Dolphins, who, oh, by the way, had three sacks of their own, are built to you know really play from ahead with the edge rushers they have and the secondary they have. So this could be a bad scenario for the Raiders walking into week three 
um, on on the road, back to back weeks, such a long trip. And if they can't figure some things out, um, the Miami Dolphins are built to be able to hammer you when you're down, um, given the personnel that they have. So it'll be an interesting matchup to see how people in Raider Nation are accepting John Gruden. I think that Khalil Mack has more sacks than the than the Raiders. And by the way, one of the teams behind the Raiders, or at least he, he might be tied, uh, the Seattle Seahawks has has yet to. You know, we, we're recording this on on Monday afternoon. Has yet to play what we're talking about. So likely the Raiders will uh, will be ahead of only the Giants. Um, once, we, once we, once we get to the end of week two, I do, do notice that, um, the Chiefs are on there at the bottom in terms of sacks. When you look at the Chiefs and Steelers game, that was, it was fun as hell to watch. And it's fun as hell to yell about Patrick Mahomes and all the crazy things he's doing. How big of a red flag is the defense for each of those teams moving forward? Huge. I'll start off with the Kansas City, but I also think it's the, the val, it, it validates why Andy Reid made the decision he did by yeah. moving on from Alex Smith. You know, you get Patrick Mahomes a quarterback who is at this point, you know, kind of already as productive, if not more so, than Alex Smith was last year, right? I mean, and Alex Smith got off to a great start last season. Like, let's not forget, 5-0, and he's the MVP, 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, completing like 76% of his passes last year, okay? And then you bring in Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill is another year to continue to get better as a wide receiver, and, and now you've got an offense that puts up 10 touchdowns in two weeks. Now, it's largely needed because this defense just can't, you know, hold opponents less than, than 20 points a game. They're not going to be able to do that, maybe occasionally, but not all the time. So they're going to have to have a high-powered offense. I think it makes sense for the future, too, to kind of keep Kansas City in this this reign of trying to make runs to the playoffs and see if they can make something special happen because they've got Patrick Mahomes on his rookie deal. So that's kind of the other pieces. They'll continue to keep building maybe on defense or out around him to help improve this team. Um, so I'm definitely concerned with the defense. I think that ultimately could be their Achilles heel once they get into the playoffs where Mahomes is essentially his first year starting. He has got a bad performance on a big stage and it ends up costing them, uh, and they don't have a defense that can help them out. Before, well, before you get, before we get to Pittsburgh, no, I have one more question about Mahomes because people have been, I've, I've had people ask me this and I'm, it's kind of hard, it's hard to frame it. People, People are like, is this sustainable? And it's like, of course it's not sustainable. But when you, when Andy Reid, Andy Reid's offense got slowed down last year when Alex Smith was having that great start and they really hit a rut in the middle of the season. Do you think that defensive coordinators will be able to do the same thing with Patrick Mahomes in this offense or are the weapons too varied and he's too talented, um, to, to really stop him? Cause I think like they have a stretch of, uh, Denver, Jacksonville and New England coming up starting in, in week four. I would anticipate that his statistics will regress. It just, He's not going to throw five touchdown passes a game, but can people actually stop this offense? Yeah, and, and that's going to be um, the question I have. And I, I think, yeah, I think they will. I think they can. I mean, let's be honest. They started the season off against the Chargers team without Joey Bosa. Yep. Okay. So, you know, you go back to last season, just mentioning Alex Smith. They started in New England. They beat down New England. Okay. Mm-hmm. They went to the Super Bowl. You want to know who they played in week two? Philadelphia. They won the Super Bowl. They beat them in week two. Week three, they go to L.A. They take on a Chargers team with Joey Bosa. They beat them. So, you know, again, going back to last season, the way the Chiefs started, this is this is reminiscent of what they what the team has done. And then teams adjust, right? Every year is a new year, but once there's a book out on you, once you have a number of games, people start to kind of settle in on what your identity is, and they go to stop you. So I won't be surprised if that doesn't happen. This production isn't sustainable. He's not going to throw for – you know, what is 90, he on pace for 90, at this point? 90, 90, 90 yeah. touchdowns. <laughs> Probably not going to throw 90. Yeah. 
Yeah, or 80 in this case, uh, since it's, it's, they play 16 games. I'm not sure you're doing your math. 80. Um, Somebody told me 90 earlier today. The lying yeah, Turk. They definitely didn't. They definitely didn't do the math on that. <laughs> but uh, it's not. It, it's not sustainable for that reason. And I think on top of it, uh, he's going to have his, his mistakes. You know, I covered this kid in college. He's special. You saw that. The problem is, is there's going to be games when he tries too hard and does too much and gets himself into trouble. And that game hasn't displayed itself yet. Uh, maybe it's because Andy Reid's still protecting him, or there's not enough tape out there in order for teams to adjust. But that day at some point's coming. Mm, and probably week four. All right, so on the Steelers' defense, and in the Steelers in general, I mean, I know that I got raked over the hot take coals for predicting the Steelers wouldn't make the playoffs, but I couldn't ask for a better start than this, primarily because the Steelers' defense looks terrible. And you have Antonio Brown. I know a tweet like, trade me and see what happens, does not mean actually trade me. But, you know, between that and Le'Veon Bell, this feels like a locker room that's a little at odds, right? Well, I don't know if it's at odds, but I think the one person that is to blame, if you're going to look at anyone, is Mike Tomlin. This is what he's allowed to take place. This is, you know, he's got that players, coach, kind of loose uh, image or uh, persona that everyone talks about. And, you know, it, it might be the antithesis of what you know, the Patriots are, but I'll say this much. The Patriots won with less talent, and, and Mike Tomlin has allowed little things like this to kind of get in the way of his team. So I don't know if it's, it's you know, Antonio Brown reading too much or him being frustrated by them being 0-1-1 now, Le'Veon Bell. I'm not, I'm not sure what the chalk it up to. I just know this. The players have to start taking more ownership. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has to start taking more ownership as a leader to not let this crap bother their team. Like, he's only got so many more good years left, and, and, and in, the, in the slow start in the last two weeks, that's on him. Like at some point, you have to realize that like you're the you're the engine that makes this thing go, and he's got off to two slow starts the past two weeks. I, I thought they'd be get up for this game. It was their home opener. I thought they'd be more uh, more inspired, and they weren't at all. And and that's a direct reflection of the leaders that are there, the head coach as well as the quarterback. But their defense is concerning, and it's concerning because I, I feel like they've got the talent to be able to be better than what they've shown. And not having Joe Hayden hurts them, but. To me, it's on Kevin Butler, their defensive coordinator. I mean, he's taken over. Ever since Dick LeBeau left, they have struggled to be that dominant Pittsburgh Steelers defense in both the run and pass game. And I know Troy Palomalo is now walking back through the door again, and James Harrison isn't there anymore. Brian McFadden? Brian McFadden's not walking through that door? Brian McFadden, yeah, he he was there as well. I mean, but those guys aren't coming back. And so you got to start mixing some things up. You got to start changing, you know, taking some chances and doing something different because right now, you know, playing somewhat of a vanilla defense, it's not working for you. They've got to do something more. They've got to change things up defensively. What about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? I think I feel like you and Pete Prisco have gotten in fights over Ryan Fitzpatrick before. Is that am I am I remembering that correctly? Pete, for whatever reason, oh. likes to thrash him. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why. It's probably here's here's why Pete likes to thrash guys. Anyone who ever has turned him down for an interview or has, has said, "Hey, I'm too busy," or doesn't have time or something, Ooh. he tends to think poorly of them as a player. So that's usually how this works. Ooh. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick's done any of that, so I'm not really sure what it is. He calls him the helium balloon because he yeah. throws interceptions. Well, uh, th- now this is a stat I saw earlier today. Uh, he's the only quarterback in NFL history to throw four touchdown passes and 400 yards two weeks in a row and win both games. Okay, Did Peyton so Manning lose got- one of his games when he did that? I, I believe so. Wow. So this- and that came from Gil Brandt, so I can't take credit for it. Okay. Um, but – it's pretty impressive to think what he's done, not for that stat, but because they're not running the football. They have no running game. It's all on him, and he's handled it really, really well. 
and their defense has stepped up too. I think they've kind of, um, you know, fallen out of the limelight because everyone's talking about Fitzmagic at this point. But still, I don't think there's any doubt about it. This is their quarterback right now. Even when Jameis Winston comes back, I think it'd be you know good for him to be a little bit humbled by sitting back, watching how Ryan Fitzpatrick has won over this team, and watched how he's preparing and how he's been able to be so successful these last two weeks. I don't think anyone, anyone, gave them a chance um, to to be able to do what they've been able to do, beating New Orleans uh, in at their house and then coming back and being able to beat the Philadelphia Eagles the past two weeks. And guess what? Now they've got Pittsburgh, and we'll see how Pittsburgh responds. I would have a hard time believing they're going to remain winless at you know 0-2-1 at this case and losing to Tampa, but never say never in this league. So we'll see, we'll see how those two teams square off. I, I just know at this point, I think it's his team, and you know that'll depend on his health, and that'll depend on his play down the stretch. Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Bledsoe and, and Mahomes were the only guys with at least four uh, touchdown passes in each of their team's first two games. So not Peyton Manning, excuse me. And uh, and Mahomes obviously didn't throw for 400 yards in both of his games. I don't believe Bledsoe did either. And if he did, he didn't win both of them. Uh, per the per the, uh, the Gil Brandt, legendary. Uh, NFL statistician and historian and general smart person. When would you start? So would you, you would sit Jameis in week four, regardless of what happens next week against Pittsburgh outside of an injury, right? Yes, because again, I think this is bigger than just what Ryan Fitzpatrick's on the field. I mean, look at how those players gravitate towards him. You know, him wearing part of Deshaun Jackson's outfit up at the press conference afterwards and Deshaun Jackson coming in to watch him. I mean, when's the last time you saw Deshaun Jackson going to watch Jameis Winston's press conference? Mm. You know, he's he's rubbing his beard with offensive lineman's beard before the game. I mean, <laughs> these guys love him, and and he's you know all of a sudden it has this endearing quality of just being able to be, I mean, kind of kind of humble but confident in in the same breath, and he's been able to walk that fine line and get guys to kind of surround him and rally for him. So I, I just think it would be a good lesson for Jameis Winston to sit back, not be the center of attention, something that it's been a long time since that's been the case for him, and, and just to w- sit and learn. He never had the chance to do that when he first got to Tampa. I think this would be potentially really good for his career, too, by just sitting back and watching this and waiting until it is his time. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, be humble. Uh, you know, in, once you're humble for a little while, you can develop this dad swag that uh, that Ryan Fitzpatrick has going on. Um, I'm curious what you think about the – Two, two things I got left for you. Arizona Cardinals, because they've scored six points in the first two weeks of the season. Where is Josh Rosen? He's on the sideline. Uh, he, he's just, you know, <laughs> yawning on the sideline, getting ready to go in at some point. I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I am shocked this offense has been as bad as it's been. I mean, I've got a lot of respect for Mike McCoy. He was my offensive coordinator in Denver with Josh McDaniels and actually yep. was retained with John Fox. And he's, Creative. He came up with a package to transition from Orton to Tebow and was and, able to just, And Tebow to Manning too, right? Right. Well, yeah, and, and he, he hung on, I think, for one more year right. uh, with Manning, which Manning kind of brings in his own system. So I don't yeah. know if anyone's giving him credit for that. Uh and and plus I, I think I think Tebow to Manning's just a big jump anyway. Like <laughs> I, I don't know that you were sitting there looking at him like, oh yeah, that was just a great job there. That was tough to do. You, you go from uh, riding a bike to like riding in a Ferrari. It's like, yeah, you know right. what? I, like, I'm not even driving. So, I'll just sit here and watch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like an autonomous car. It hasn't been created yet. But, um, I, I, I thought he's more creative than this. I thought things would be better than what they've been. Um, and, you know, Sam Bradford has, has struggled. So it's going to be Josh Rosen time sooner than later. And I think the season's probably going nowhere fast for the Arizona Cardinals. The defense has been most disappointing. 
uh, just because I do think they have some pretty solid pieces. I mean, when, when Chandler Jones is on your defense, you know, there, there's still something to be said about his ability as well as some other people, you know, pieces like Buda Baker and Patrick Peterson. So it, it's surprising the start they've got off on. Uh, I would expect Josh Rosen to be in the lineup in the next three weeks. Uh, any concerns about Matt Patricia's future in Detroit? That's... No. Um, I don't know how many people expect them to win uh, week two. You know, tough game going on the road. It was close. They're competitive. They're, they're going to have a tough transition period given their defense doesn't have a consistent edge rusher with Ansa being injured and not, nothing on the other side. They don't have a running game. It, I mean, it's the same issues they've continued to battle with, and that wasn't going to be fixed in, in a year. And it wasn't going to be fixed with him coming in. So, you know, if they have a 2-14 a and 14 season, maybe we're having a different conversation at the end of the year. But I think this could be a case where the last eight games, they might go 4-4, four and four, might steal one or two before then. So they're a 6-10 and 10 football team, and it's just the first year of, of him being a head coach and him learning a lot of lessons as a first-year head coach. And then they, as they go into year two, you're going to expect that big jump as they shape the roster a little bit more and have to make you know, probably some tough decisions on some guys. Yeah, and that's a team that played above its head for the last two years. Jim Caldwell, though, certainly – uh, looking, you know, not, not looking too terrible after being ousted after a nine-win season. All right, Brady Quinn, uh, you're the best. Thanks for talking to me and for uh, coming on the podcast. We'll do it again next week, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and hey, just make sure you're okay over there. Right? I know hey. you got a lot going on. I'm worried about the dog got bit by a snake. I don't know how a dog gets bit by a snake in a hurricane. That's I'm still trying to make sense. Well, the snake got lifted by the winds in the hurricane and landed on the dog who was sleeping outside because the air conditioning was off. So it was a whole thing. Um, that's not actually that literally happened. Like that's no. a real story. No, 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 no. He was he was out walking with um, out walking at my parents' farm and re- was running down a hill and the snake was on the ground and he it, it didn't see him and he, and he like ran over him. The snake jumped up and bit his bit underneath his. Uh, Underneath his leg. And he's, he's wow. okay now. Swelling his way down. Seems like he's doing really well. So we're excited. Uh, by the way, you can follow Brady on Twitter at, uh, 3rd underscore goal, third goal. And, uh, anything. Oh, you're, you got a, you got a radio show you do. Every, is it every yep. day? You do it every day? No, just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on Sirius XM, uh, NFL radio channel 88. For four hours. Man, you talk a well, lot. Well, it's, a, it's actually three Sundays. Today was three. Tomorrow's going to be three. Thank God. Brett Favre comes on like once a week during football season for an hour. And it like happens to be during my show, which first off I'm thankful for, because I could use the extra hour for other things that I have. Like talking uh, to me, for, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I like hearing Brett Favre just tell stories. Yeah. So. Wait, so is Brett Favre on when you're on? No, no, we're not together. He's on like, so typically I'm on from 11 to 3 PM Eastern. Yeah. He comes on for the first hour on Tuesdays from 11 to 12. Ah. And that actually is more depending on, uh, the hunting conditions and what the weather is like wherever he's at. <laughs> he will call on a moment's notice and cancel, and then all of a sudden I'll have to do a four-hour show instead of a three-hour. So you you are you have found yourself you you retired from football and you found yourself like somehow Brett, Brett Favre is making you back Brett Favre up like for one hour a week. <laughs> yes, How, that's the crazy part. It's almost like I'm in the quarterback room with Brett Favre, and it's like everything depends on like if, if he's going to go out hunting, I've got to go with him. And now I'm like spending four hours out hunting, and if not. He's going to do some work for an hour, then I have to go in and, and clean things up for the last three quarters of the game. Well, that's incredible. We'll go spend time with your family since you've been, you've been you're too busy. Busiest man in show business. Oh, no, that's Pete Prisco. Sorry, Pete Prisco's the busiest man in show business. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's what Pete will tell you. Uh, thanks, Brady. We'll talk again, man. Sounds good.